Good morning. Glad to see everybody here this morning. For those of you who don't know, maybe our guest, my name is Trevor, I'm pastor here at Round Oak, and I'm glad to have everybody here this morning. I'm glad that everybody would choose to come and worship uh, with us this morning, our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, if you can't tell already, I'm a little stuffy, got some allergy things going on, so bear with me a little bit, and um, we're going to get through all this. So, um, anyway, regardless of that, it's a beautiful day to worship the Lord. Again, not that yesterday wasn't, or that tomorrow will not be, but today, right now, we are called to be here. We obeyed that call, and that's what we're going to do. We've been worshiping so far this morning, and we're going to continue that worship as we continue our study through the book of John. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, we're going to be in John chapter 5. So if you start turning there and finding it, just a few verses here this morning, verses 41 through 47, we'll be ending the uh, fifth chapter of John. But real quick, just in case you weren't here last week, a quick recap. We looked at what Jesus was talking about as he gave three evidences, three evidences for who he truly is. And we need to remember that as he's talking here, as he continues this discourse, even through what we're looking at today and the last couple weeks, he's talking with Jewish people here. So the way that Jesus presented this, it would hold up in a Jewish courtroom. He presented the evidence of who he is that it would hold up in a Jewish court of law. So he's putting it back on their table. He's putting the ball back in their court. Because again, he went to the Jew first. He came to fulfill the law of Moses as the Lord and Savior come to earth. That was his goal. That's what he was doing. But as we all know, us here today, even as Gentiles, got to reap those benefits as well. Because it didn't stay. It was first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. It wasn't just first to the Jew, then it stopped. It was for all of us. And is anybody else happy that that was the case? Okay, good. I was making sure. Okay, that's a good thing. That's really, really good for us. But we got to reap the benefits as well. But he came to them, and quite simply, they just... They just didn't care. They quite honestly couldn't care any less. They didn't care about him at all. They rejected him even in the face of all the evidence, of everything, even things that would hold up according to their rules in their court of law, they still said, meh, we don't care. They didn't care. They didn't care. We also talked about the fact that truth is truth, even if no one believes it. He spoke to our weakness, our attachment to worldly things, that people don't refuse to believe because of lack of evidence or proof. They just don't believe no matter what because their minds have been made up. Because people want to keep what they have, and essentially what we have is sin. And we love it, and we like it, so we want to hold on to it. Because Jesus says we must repent, and we're like, no, we're okay, we're going to keep what we are attracted to. And again, that's a quick rundown on a rather long passage. But again, I wanted to say that because it brings us right up to where we are today because this is one solid, fluid discourse that Jesus is giving us. So that's where we're at now. I hope that you found it. I hope that you're there. John chapter 5, verse 41 through 47. Follow along as I read aloud, starting in verse 41. 
I do not accept glory from people, but I know you, that you have no love for God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and yet you don't accept me. If someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but don't seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do you think that I will accuse you the Father? Accuse you to the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. But if you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe my words? <clears throat> so as we look at this, I want to break this down as best as I can, because just like last week, a lot of people get caught up on this passage. A lot of people skip over this passage. A lot of people skip over this whole discourse. Because for a couple reasons. First off, it's not the easiest thing to understand. So that's why we're doing this here. That's why, that's why you have study. That's why you have teachings. That's why you have the time where you dig into the Bible and really look at what it's trying to say. And the second off, uh, the second reason why people mostly skip over this is because it's not the easiest thing to read. Because we don't like it. Because it's not the most joyful thing in the world. It's not this happy-go-lucky, you get to walk out in all sunshine and rainbows. Jesus is literally calling people out to their face. I like to use the word uh, confrontational. Most people don't think that about Jesus, but again, we'll get to, to that more in just a minute. But again, a lot of people get caught up on this. They read this verse. They read verse 41. They're like, hey, I'm going to read a really cool passage today. Let's, start, let's read John 5, 41. I do not accept glory from people. What? Reading that on the surface, you'd have no idea what's going on, and you would think, what is going on? What is Jesus talking about? So it's important as we talk about often, as I will often say, that we have to keep things in context. Otherwise, it's super easy to just take things out and run with them in whatever direction that we want to. So again, we're going to have to look at this. We'll keep this in context as well. What he's referring to is what he was literally just saying. The contest says that Jesus is saying that his point is this, that whether people accept him or not is actually irrelevant. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change who he is. What Jesus says is the truth is still the truth, whether if every one of us stand up and say we don't believe and we walk out the door, does that change the truth of who Jesus is? Not at all. That's what he's talking about. That's precisely what he's talking about. Because the course of Jesus, because of course Jesus accepts praise, right? We know that. If you stay here for the next few weeks or months, however long it takes us to get here, John chapter 9, verse 38, he, after he's talking to this healed man, he says that he worshiped Jesus. And Jesus didn't say, stop, don't do that, I don't like that. He's like, yeah, that's cool. I'm God, right? So, of course, he accepts worship. But this statement in verse 541, the point of it is to say that, yes, Jesus is God, regardless of what any of us think. It's also to counter a lot of these Jewish leaders' attacks. But again, the point here is it doesn't matter. It, he does not need our approval, their approval then, to be put in that position. Because God is God. Jesus is God, no matter what. He wasn't put in that position. He is that position. None of us could make that change. None of us can say, well... I don't want Jesus to be God today. I mean, you say it out loud. 
It's ridiculous. It's the same thing as, I want Jesus to be God today. It doesn't matter what you want. The same thing I say it a lot too. is like, well, make Jesus Lord of your, you know, make Jesus Lord, right? It's like, no, he already is Lord. We must accept that. The truth does not change because of what we think or what we do. We bend to Jesus. He never bends to us. We bend to the Word of God. We never bend to the Word of God. Quite simply, that's how it works. And all this whole time that Jesus is saying this, we have to keep in mind that Jesus is also still God regardless, and he knows the hearts and the minds of those he's talking to. So as we look at this, he's also saying, I know you're not going to accept anything I say. I know your hearts. I know your every thought. And he knows Jesus is sitting there knowing full well that they will reject him, all the while also knowing what's going to happen when they lead him up the hill to Calvary and put him on the cross. We have to always keep that in mind in light of everything that we read because that's a big deal. Because Jesus is still ministering, talking with them, telling them the truth, knowing that they're going to, one, reject him, and two, kill him. That would be hard to do. But as we continue on, verse 42 says this, But I know you, that you have no love for God within you. Again, we look at this, Jesus knows and shows that they are not following the will of God. And that's for one basic reason. If you back up just a little bit, look at verse 38. It says, you don't have his word residing in you because you don't believe the one he sent. They don't believe. They are not doing the will of God essentially because they have rejected Jesus. They have rejected the one that God sent. The rejection is of Christ and who he is. Is not based on the three things that Jesus showed us, the stuff we talked about last week, that's not what they're rejecting. It's not the, the human testimonies, the miracles, or either the Word of God. Because the evidence is there. Their denial of Jesus comes through their outright refusal to accept who He is. Their minds have been made up. And no proof will change that. No proof will change that. Ultimately, a person cannot love God if they do not love His Word. You definitely can't if you ignore his word. I mean, we don't need to get too far off topic, but doesn't that sound a lot like today? Honestly, I, mean, I kind of want to know, because I hope I'm not by myself on this one. Have you ever talked to somebody and you give them the most convincing speech ever in the whole world, right? You're like, wow, they're definitely coming to Christ today because I nailed that. And, they're, and they still look at you like you're stupid. Does that ever happen to anybody else? Their mind was made up. They didn't want the truth. They don't want the truth because it, it conflicts with what they already believe. And they have to give up what they want. We all had to give up what we wanted when Christ invaded our lives and saved us too. But it's a conscious decision to say yes to the Lord. They say no. How many times did you say no before you said yes? Me, personally, is probably more than I can count. We have to see that that's what's going on. But again, we cannot love the God of the universe if we ignore his word. We ignore his messenger who is Christ. If we enjoy the message that was inspired by the Holy Spirit, all 66 books of the Bible, we can't sit there and say we love God if we ignore all that. Again, the proof was there. 
and no proof will change your mind. Jesus came as the light, as the light of the world. And we as a people tend to reject it. Not because we can't see the light, but because we love the darkness. That's why. If you take a poll in most people, and you can look at some different research centers like Pew Research and, and uh, there's a couple other ones you probably know more names than I do, but they do polls about this all the time. Like, if a church was a certain way, would you go? If a church would teach certain things, would you go? And most of the time, like the vast majority of the time, people don't want to be a part of a church or people don't want to come to Christ essentially because they don't want to give up the sin that they love. And literally like 97% of the time, it has something to do with some kind of sexual sin. Isn't that crazy? We don't want to give up what we want because we're so egotistical. We're so inwardly focused about everything that no proof in the world could ever get me to say, well, I guess I was wrong. I should probably look to Christ. We ignore all of this so that I can get everything that I want. And I'll say it one more time before I move on. We could fill up every available spot here. We'd have to have multiple services. Our bank account would be exploding. If only I would get rid of this. That would be it. You're telling me you don't want a bunch of people here to hear a false, false gospel? No. Okay, just making sure. I want to make sure we're on the right page because that's what's happening here. That's what we're talking about. That's what churches across the country right now are actually literally doing. Don't get me wrong, not all of them. But that's what we're doing. We reject what the Word of God says. We reject what His messenger, Jesus Christ, the Father's messenger says so that we could live in darkness so that we could be happy in our sin. And if we would just affirm what other people's sin is, then they would love us. And isn't that the point? No, not at all. The Gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's what we do. And if it offends somebody, guess who's going to have to get over that? They will. Because the Gospel is offensive, and if you don't think it's offensive, you are wrong. Because it tells you that you're a sinner and need a saving, and you can't do it yourself. It tells us around every corner that we are sinful people. We shouldn't outrightly go out to try to offend people just to be jerks about stuff. No. But the gospel is offensive because it says that each and every person falls short and deserves punishment and deserves to be separated from God. Know that. Because the world is saying we don't care about your proofs. So we should be persistent. Not beating them over the head with the Bible, but we should be persistent. But again, we'll keep moving on. We'll get more into this in a little bit. But verse 43, verse 43 says this, I have come in my Father's name, and yet you do not accept me. If someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. <clears throat> Again, this is really Jesus driving home this point. And again, I want to be as clear as I can because this is poignant stuff. I mean, it really is. Again, this is what I was talking about before. A lot of people like to skip over this because it's hard. 
because you either don't understand it or it's hard because you don't want to think of Jesus in a certain way. But again, we have to. Jesus doesn't beat around the bush. This is again very straightforward. Jesus gave them so much. All of the evidences they could ever want or ever need. I mean, don't get me wrong, we have these same things today and we still push away. But again, we're looking at this right here. He gave them so much. He had John the Baptist gave them the human testimony. Jesus performed many miracles. At the end of the book here, it talks about that if all of them are written down, not all the books in the world will be able to hold all the accounts of the miracles. They have the scriptures, which apparently the Pharisees were supposed to know quite well. All the evidence that, that they need. It's not that they cannot come to faith in Christ. It's that they will not come to faith in Christ. That is the difference. The evidence is there. They know it. They see it. They will not come. So when we will not do something, what do we do? If we know that something's supposed to be at a certain level, like some kind of leader, or in this case, Jesus, right? If we will not come to Jesus, what does the human mind do? Just like the leaders, then we today do the very same thing. We will put something else in its place. Because it's a gap, it's a hole. We don't like gaps, we don't like holes. We build bridges, we fill them in. We have to put something in its place all the time. And on the religious side of things, what this amounts to is false teachers. They were happy to have the approval of others. Making sure that we can all affirm each other. Oh yeah, your, your sin's awesome. You like my sin? Oh, you do? Well, we can be part of the same group. Oh, you want to be some kind of religious zealot? That's awesome. Is it based on God? Well, enough to where people still think so, but it's not enough to where I get what I want. Awesome. Let's do this. Let's start a group and let's, let's really do these things. And it does happen that fast. And you can always find somebody that wants to sin the same way as you do. And then all of a sudden we have groups of people who sin the same way. And now we have whole communities of people who sin the same way. And that's how it works. We're replacing things all the time. Because we won't accept who Jesus truly is, in spite of all the evidence. Like they were here. They were happy to have the approval of others. And we're not even willing to look at the evidence. Maybe an easier, an easier way to say it is this. Straight to the point, right? They ignore the truth so that they can be happy in their lies. It's easier. Well, I don't like the truth because the truth speaks to me and says that I'm wrong. So if I lie to myself and I lie to enough people, I can gather a band around myself to where I can justify the sins that I love. It's just that easy. We see it all the time, and if you think about it for more, seriously, anything more than five seconds, I think you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. When we get people on our side, we start to justify it. That's why people hide certain sins until they know that there's at least five or six people out here that sin the same way. Then I will go to them, and we will start a little community. And now that sin is okay, because everybody justifies it. Right? And how that works. If we get enough people and the community and the society and our culture, as long as they say it's okay, it's okay now, right? That's how most people think. 
They ignored the truth again so they could be happy in their lives. And I'm truly sorry to say that from 2,000 years ago, not much has changed. We see the direction of our culture. We see it all the time. We know what's happening. Our culture, our society does the very same thing. We try to replace things so we don't have to deal with what truth really is. Because again, it's offensive to us. And we either get offended by it and understand that it's truth, or we get offended by it and call it lies and go the opposite direction. That's kind of the only two outlets that we have. But again, we'll keep moving. 44, verse 44 says this, how can you, <clears throat> excuse me, how can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but don't seek the glory that comes from the only God? Again, as we continue, this matches, it kind of mimics verse 43. This refusal of Christ shows what their so-called faith really is. Because there's a consistent teaching in the New Testament. And that consistent teaching is that what a person does really proves what they believe. So, we can know and we can be known by what? Our fruit, right? We know all those passages. I'm pretty sure I bet you that some of those passages probably popped in your mind as soon as I said that. We can be known and will be known by our fruit. We cannot disregard, ignore, misplace the Word of God again and think that we can love God no matter what any of us think. You can re really believe. You can believe with all of your heart something. And if it's wrong, it's wrong. I will tell you what. There are people out in the world right now who believe stronger about a falsehood than most Christians believe about the truth. And I can prove it to you. Would you like me to prove it to you? Somebody say yes. Thank you, because I really wanted to do it. <clears throat> so, the homosexual community is roughly 3 to 5% of the population, depending on who you ask. And yet they're changing everything. The Christian community is by all real accounts, 30 to 45% of the population of this country. And we're losing ground daily. They will do more for a lie than we will do for the truth. Ouch a little bit. Does anybody else see an issue with this one? That's a problem. It is a problem. We cannot take parts of God's Word and get rid of it and think that we still love God. Period. Continuing on, verse 45 and 46. <clears throat> Do not think I will accuse you to the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom you have set your hope. And then verse 46. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. Now when we look at this, I want you to keep something in mind. And this is actually important. This is what it's all been kind of leading up to. Because this is one of the most crucial things we will talk about here this morning. Current popular culture would say this. They would say that Jesus is, is, is soft, is fragile. He's that kind of that meek and mild kind of person. 
who is only known for his love and kindness. Jesus would never tell me that I'm wrong. Right? Stuff like that. We hear that all the time. See, the first issue is this. Most people don't know what love really is. Most people think love is affirming things. No matter what, right? We have to affirm if we love them. Otherwise, we're, we're hateful, right? We know them. And, and the second is the use of the word kindness. You know, Jesus is all kindness and love. See, kindness is relative. I don't like to use that word, but let me explain this real quick. See, kindness is relative because of this. If, if you think that it's kind to affirm everything, like the world does. I'm not pointing anybody out, just as an example here. But you think it's it would be kind if I affirmed you and held your hand and helped you cross the road to, so you can get to your sense. My form of kindness is to stop you, knock you back on the sidewalk, off the street, so that you don't die and your sin. Kindness is a different perspective from different people. But we have to know what love is so we can know what kindness is. That's why it's relative. The prime example I'll use is this, because we all know it, is that Jesus cleared the temple, right? We talked about that before. Drove all the people out with the whip. And the best part about this is, I love this part, because Jesus didn't show up and be like, oh man, there's all this stuff going, oh look, a whip, and then went and chased them out. Do you realize he took the reeds, he took all the stuff, and he took probably realistically a couple hours to find him, to fashion this whip so that he could. It wasn't just... This reaction, it wasn't a knee-jerk reaction, but he did so on purpose. He turned over the tables. He was, again, that word I told you I like to use, what Jesus truly is, he was confrontational. He took it to you. But often we think of Jesus, again, as meek and mild. Again, we don't even know what the word meekness is. We associate it with weakness, and that is the furthest thing from the truth. Meekness is a spine of steel wrapped in human flesh. Right? It's ultimate power under complete control. So is Jesus meek? Absolutely. Do most people know what meekness is? Absolutely not. And I'll say that, and I say all that, because of what's happening here. The Pharisees considered themselves experts in the law. Experts on the law of Moses, right? It was their identity. It was their whole identity. That's what they based everything on. Everything. So what Jesus is saying here, the criticism of these men is immensely personal. Taking it right to them. That the very law that they claim to be experts in, it condemns their actions. And not only that, not only does it condemn the actions of them, but it also affirms what Jesus is talking about. They're getting hit twice. They're getting hit twice. But they have traveled so far from the truth. They have adopted so many different rules at this time. There's so much different things going on. Created such a new way of looking at things and established so many traditions that they have established they're kind of their own religion at this point. Based on much of their own thinking and their own rules, their own traditions, what they want, how to control a group of people 
and yet prop themselves up. And the hope of this, as with most, if, if not all, religions, was that their adherence to these rules would earn them favor with God. And what we have to see is, is throughout time, especially after 70 A.D., pop quiz time, who knows what happened in 70 A.D.? The temple was destroyed and Jerusalem was ransacked. Especially after that, since they couldn't you know, sacrifice animals and whatnot no more, they had to come up with even more rules. This is just going beyond this a little bit more, but we have, we have to see that. They made even more rules. So they're trying to adhere to rules that they made up so that they could please a God that they don't even know. And they couldn't even do that. They make up their own rules and they couldn't hold to them. They thought they could earn favor with God. And for Jesus to point this whole thing out, to show them these things, based on the law of Moses, again, putting the ball back in their court, based on the law of Moses, the cornerstone of their pharisaical traditions, as the evidence that they are sinners, would have been immensely personal. Kind of didn't get any more personal than that. He took it home directly to them. He had a direct challenge for their identity. Am I am I clear enough on this? Are we that is a big deal? It wasn't ho hum. It was insanely confrontational, and they hated him for it. We always wonder what well, they just he they hated Jesus for no no he took it to them. Everything that the Pharisees did, Jesus was saying, let me show you why you're wrong. It wasn't, oh, would you please believe me? It was, let me show you why I was wrong. There is power. And we often think about Jesus in this little meek and mild kind of wimpy way. And if you do think that way, I ask you right now, and I'll never ask you again, please stop, because you are wrong. You couldn't be more wrong. The God of the universe didn't come down here and just beg for mercy. Not once. He didn't come down here and just say, oh, you should follow me. Oh, I'm going to kick some rocks. and Oh, look, I'm sad. He was saying, guess what? I'm going to take it to you. You're going to hear the truth. I'm going to die for you. And then I'm coming back. And then it's game over. And that's what we have to realize, that there is real and true power here. And we should be fortunate and grateful and thankful that he didn't just come here and say, every one of you is sinners, you die. He could have. And he would have been absolutely right and absolutely justified. We have to see these things. We have to stop pretending that Jesus is somebody he's not. And then he continues it on, though. After directly hitting their identity, he really drives it home with verse 46. Jesus saying that you don't even really believe Moses. You claim to believe Moses. You claim to study his law. But you don't even believe that because if you did, you would easily know that he was talking about me. Not me, but Jesus is saying you would know that he was talking about me. Quite plainly, again, Jesus is eroding the very foundation that everything that the Pharisees base their stuff on, he's showing them that it's false. He's eroding all the foundation out from underneath him. And again, this goes against cultural thinking. I may even take some flack for this. To be fair, hopefully mainly from people outside the church. But again, I'm going to say this. 
because it's real, because the truth is much more important than any feelings that we could have. The, the truth is more important than any of our options, our, our opinions, our ideas. Truth is more important than any of that. Because what's the point of having an opinion if it's wrong? And I'll be fair, we wouldn't have opinions if we didn't think they were right. But what do we base them off of? What's the standard? That should be the Word of God. And if it's not the Word of God, how for a second can we claim to be a Christian, let alone someone who loves God? The short answer is we can't. We can't. We have to see these things. We, we're lying to ourselves. We're lying to others. And we have to stop. The truth is far more important than our feelings, what we think, what we want. And Jesus repeatedly shows us this. If you disagree with me, good. I hope you're offended too. Honestly, I promise you, I'm not lying. I hope you're offended if you disagree with that. Because I hope that you're like, well, I don't know where. And then you're going to dig into the Bible and you're going to see that I was right. Not because I want to be right, but because, because God's Word is right. And that's what we're going to do. And then you'll see it. Then maybe the you'll actually change your mind in light of the evidences and not be like the Pharisees, right? That's the point. With why, that's why we preach the Word of God. That's why we teach the Word of God, so that you may know and learn and walk closer with Jesus. It's going to drive certain people away. Sure, we all know that. We've seen that. It happens a million times a day. But we preach the Word of God because it's only thing that can actually make a difference. And again, not saying that we should be mean. We do have to do so in a loving way. But let people be offended. For real. Don't be scared to tell them what truth is. And I get it. A lot of people have jobs to where you will go to work tomorrow and say something and you can get fired like that. That stinks, man. I, I do. I feel terrible for you people. I have a job to where I get paid to do the opposite. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> but it is. That's, that, that's awful. That's what the world's coming to. So I hope you're, you, you can like stealthily do it. You know, kind of you know, sneak in the back way and tell people about them. At least stand up and walk out of certain things if you have to. Learn how to get away from things. But we have to do all these things in a loving manner. But what we cannot do. I know that you can get fired for certain things. I know that the culture is like that right now. But what we absolutely cannot do is do anything at the expense of the truth. Don't lie. Don't say actually things are okay when they're not. But just hold firm and hold fast. But I will keep going before I get into something I probably shouldn't. But verse, verse, excuse me, verse 47, it says this. <clears throat> but if you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe my words? Again, Jesus says this. He is fully affirming that they don't believe what they say they believe. That they claim to be these people who just love Moses and they know all about him. And he's like, you don't even believe what he said. You've lied to yourselves for long enough to where you believe every lie that you tell yourself as truth. And then makes the connection that since you don't believe Moses, you obviously won't believe 
Jesus speaking here? Me either. And it happens that quickly. If we try to negate, try to get rid of, skip over, write off any part of the Word of God, we will miss the point completely. Completely. And I'm going to call him Brother Danny here because he said it the other day. He said it perfectly. Either we believe the whole Bible, every word, or we might as well get rid of it. That's it. What's the point? Because if we look at it, that's tantamount of saying, if we get rid of any part, it's tantamount to saying that God was wrong. And are you going to claim to serve a God that you think you're smarter than? Are you going to claim to serve a God that is wrong about stuff? I mean, really? When we disagree with what the Bible says, and then we claim to follow it, you say it out loud, it sounds ridiculous. I'm much smarter than God, but I'm going to trust Him for everything. I mean, come on. I mean, really? It's ridiculous. I mean, quite frankly, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. It's, it's crazy to even give that a second thought. But, man, people do it. People do it. Every page, every word, every syllable, every letter of the Word of God is true. And it's not only true, but it's also important. And taking away any part of it, again, is going against what God says. It's telling him he's wrong. And not only that, but I'm pretty sure there's warnings in here about doing such things, about changing or adding to or taking away from. Keep that things in mind. The Word of God is trustworthy and true, and we can lean on it in all things, through all things. It is the ultimate counsel that He gives us here on earth, that we can go to it at any time. And it speaks to everything. It speaks to everything. But I want you to see this. I want you to notice how all this went down. Jesus was personal, straight to the point. He didn't beat around the bush, and He didn't make excuses for anyone. Not a single person did he make an excuse for. And he was confrontational. Not afraid to offend, to offend anybody. Or use anything to his advantage. And he wasn't afraid because it was based on the truth. 100% the truth. And again, remember, that truth made people so upset with him that they literally planned to kill him. Modern terms, first-degree murder. Big deal. So before I go any further, just make sure we're all ready for that just in case that happens again. So, good luck. But anyway, he was, he was offensive, but it was offensive based on truth. I Means he didn't negate any of the truth, didn't water down the truth just to not to make somebody upset. And he did so that, so that we could know the truth. All of us are here today. We're still talking about the stuff that he did, the stuff that he talked about, the miracles that he made, the disciples he had, the people that he sent out. We still talk about it so that we can know what the truth really is. And I'll say this. Did he yell and scream? Did he make fun of them? No, it was merely the truth based on the truth. And you know why that is? 
because nothing else can help us. You could be the best liar in the whole world and make this whole fake persona of who Jesus is and get people to follow you. And all that's going to do is get people to follow you here and then they can follow you straight down the path to hell. That's all a lie does. No matter how you spin it. Anything short of the truth, anything short of the truth of God is at minimum a false witness. And I'm going to end with this. I want you just to think of this. I want you to kind of ponder this. And maybe you've heard it before, but it really helps my perspective when I think about certain things. How quickly things can happen and how sometimes how long things can happen and how people can play the long game to get people to follow what they want. But small things can make a great difference down the road. Not even bad teaching, just less than good teaching. Right, can have a big difference as we look at certain things. It can morph into something that is downright heretical after a while. So if I am right here, and I want to draw a straight line, if I'm off by just a degree or two, not far, if I'm off by a degree or two, barely anybody would notice. But by the time I got to the first pew, I would be off by about a foot, right? Still not that bad. Still not that bad. We can, we can kind of wrestle that one up, right? By the time I got to the back door, I'd be off by multiple feet. By the time I got up to the road, I'd be off by dozens of feet. And we can see how far, the further out we go, the harder it is to come back. Because now we're so far gone that only it, it started with only a minute measurement out of place. But no one stopped me. And I kept going way off path. It turned out to be possibly even a misreading, a misrepresentation is now a damnable heresy that is a front and right in God's face. And people will start to follow it because it was a slow fade. We have to see that. All of, because of something that started off by being off by an inch has got me so far off track that where I started from is not even recognizable. The truth matters. And when we are under or in some kind of false teaching or false thinking, we must, like we have to, it is imperative that we stand for the truth, no matter what. And as the body of Christ, we must be willing and able to also have discussions and debates. And to sometimes have those discussions and debates vigorously. But not divide over them. But to come to the truth. We should know, we should actually understand. And not on our opinion. Because I can give opinion. Who has an opinion here? Raise your hand. Everybody shut their hands up, right? And if I just said, what was your opinion about? You probably all had something different in mind. But it doesn't matter, because that's not what we're talking about. Your opinions have some weight, but not like the weight of the truth. So if we bring our opinions into the Word of God, then we will manipulate this to get what we want. 
But if we come to the Word of God and let it, you know, mess up our opinions, then we're off to the right start. And we won't be off that inch that leads us miles and miles away. We can't divide over what the truth is. We come to the truth so that the body, so that we together, the body of Christ, can praise and worship a risen Savior together. And that's the ultimate goal. Because when we're doing this more, when our worship is true, when we leave here, we will be much more likely, much more just on fire and tell the world about who Jesus is. But come here and we squabble about what is this, and I'm up here telling you my opinions, and you're telling me that I'm wrong, and you are trying to give your opinions back because none of it's based on the Bible. You know what we're going to do? We're going to leave here and just go say, hey, world, we affirm everything you do. Come to our church, give us money, and we'll tell you that your sins are okay. It may not happen by next week, but if we act like that, that will happen, and I guarantee it 100%. That's why I always say this, and, and Johnny will attest to this, and I'm sure most of you heard it. If I ever don't preach what's in here, feel free to kick me out the door, like yesterday, because no one needs to hear that garbage. And if you don't like what's in here, please continue to come here so that you can hear it, because that's what we're going to preach. That's what we're going to teach here from the pulpit every single Sunday. That's what we're going to teach at all these Sunday school classes we have. That's what we're going to have on Wednesday nights. That's what we're going to teach, because the Bible is the most important thing that we can teach. Because it reveals who Jesus Christ is. Anything short of that is not Jesus Christ at all. It's just some guy we made up in our head who can never help you, never save you, never forgive you of your sins. And the only thing that he can do is lead you on a path directly to hell. Plain enough? Amen. Father, we thank you for everything that you do, for who you are. Lord, I thank you so much that you have given us your word so that we can see who you are. Lord, we can see that we are sinners in need of saving. And Lord, I thank you personally for not pulling any punches, for not beating around the bush, but telling us directly that we need you, that we need forgiven because we do sin so grievously against a holy God. And we thank you so much that you would Give us that option. That you would be willing to die for a wretched sinner like me. Again, Lord, we thank you for all that you do. We thank you for who you are. Lord, help us to see you more clearly each and every day. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.